Welcome to Radio Baladi, the first Arab, Middle Eastern, and American simulcast radio show. Radio Baladi is broadcast every Friday morning on WNZK 690 AM from 8 until 9 Eastern Time on Good Morning Michigan with Layla Al Husseini. Our call in number 248 557 3300. And now, stay tuned for the best radio talk show on Arab and American issues with your host, Layla Al Husseini. And good morning, everybody. It's Wednesday, September 30th, 2020, and I'm Ray Anania, your special U.S. correspondent for the Arab News newspaper, and you're listening to the Arab Street Radio, Radio Balladie podcast and broadcast live from Detroit, Michigan through 690 AM WNZK Radio. Our number is 248-557-3300 if you want to call in. Um, of course, technology, I can't stand it. I can't get us on Facebook. It's not connecting. <sighs> the special election edition show is brought to you by the Arab News newspaper, the Middle East leading English language print newspaper with editions in Saudi Arabia, Dubai, Japan, Pakistan, France. I can't wait to go to Paris, France to sit there and sip coffee and read my column in French. And bureaus in London, uh, New York, and Chicago, where I'm based. The Arab Street Radio and Podcast is part of the U.S. Arab Radio Network, hosted by journalist Leila El Husseini in, in an effort to energize and empower Arab Americans to stand up for their rights. For more information, you can go to my website at hanania.com or arabnews.com. We'll have a landing page there soon. I think they got the test up. It looks great. Um, but, you know, we got to get it right, so we will uh, publicize that as soon as it comes up. We have a pre-recorded interview I did with Avi Berkowitz, uh, who is uh, President Trump's special uh, advisor on Middle East negotiations. Um, and then uh, we'll do that interview. It's about 20 minutes. We'll take a break. And then when we come back, i got a, a friend, a, a journalist, great guy, uh, did a great story yesterday at thearabnews.com on the uh, Trump-Biden debate. Um, so we'll talk with Ephraim Kosafi, uh, who's also a U.S. correspondent for the Arab News newspaper, and he's based in New York, uh, and he's neck deep in covering the U.N. General Assembly. We will talk to him uh, right after this interview. But for now, uh, Mike, uh, if you want to run the uh, Berkowitz uh, interview, and we'll listen to that, and when we're done, uh, we'll come back with live radio. I'm Ray Hanania. Let's listen to this uh, interview I did with Avi Berkowitz. Our guest on the line is Avi Berkowitz. Avi is a special advisor to President Trump on the Middle East. Uh, he's directly involved with Jared Kushner and President Trump in putting together the Abraham Accords, which were signed recently between Israel, the United Arab Emirates, and Bahrain. Avi, uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us this morning on the Arab Street Radio here in Detroit, brought to you by the Arab News newspaper. 
thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. How difficult was it to bring together the uh, United Arab Emirates and Bahrain with Israel, given that 72 years of conflict, it couldn't have been that easy? So, uh, it's an interesting question. Um, you know, it definitely was a difficult process. I don't want to downplay uh, that component of this, but, you know, the president, when he came into office, he gave Jared Kushner the mandate of, of working on this file, specifically on the Israeli-Palestinian file. But as Jared was traveling throughout the region and meeting with numerous leaders, what he found in his discussions was that there was a real openness to making peace in, in numerous countries. And the UAE certainly is, is, showed leadership and, and a lot of courage, and we're very appreciative to the leadership from Prince Mohammed bin Zayed, as well as the foreign minister of Dalai bin Zayed, and, and, and the national, their national security advisor, Sheikh Tahmoun, as well as the ambassador here in Washington, Yusuf al And so they definitely showed a lot of courage, and if not for them, honestly, the, the deal wouldn't, you know, if not for that courage, the deal wouldn't have come to fruition. But there's a lot of openness in the region to acknowledging a reality that Israel has been there since 1948. It will be there uh, for the rest of time. And it's important for the region as a whole to move forward and to work together. And, and so, you know, what was obviously a very difficult, arduous, strenuous negotiation was made a lot easier with the understanding that there's no, there's no anti-Israel sentiment in the UAE leadership. It's, it, that, that is not, that is a bygone era. And, and really what they were looking for was a way to both help the Palestinian people, but also take into account their own national interests, which is to push back against regional aggression. And, and what they've seen is that Israel is not one of those actors, that Israel is a friend. And, and so peace has made that cooperation very possible, and we're excited to see what happens next. The United Arab Emirates and Bahrain uh, normalization deals the Abraham Accords with Israel um, to find relations between those countries, but obviously comes in the wake of 72 years of conflict. That was the uh, barrier that has held back uh, peace in a regional way. How did this uh, come together, and does it address uh, significantly the Palestinian issues? So I think, I think what really helped is honestly the fact that we put out a vision for peace that Jared, myself, uh, worked on for, for years, uh, as well as Jason Greenblatt, David Friedman, and, and we put out the plan, and the plan calls for a realistic two-state solution. It calls for a Palestinian state with a capital in areas of East Jerusalem. It calls for free access, you know, for all people who will come in peace to all the holy sites so that, you know, no one could say that they're in any way being... Uh, under siege, and as well as fifty billion dollars of investment, as well as as well as solutions for for people you know who were displaced, and so it's uh, the refugee issue, and so you know it's a serious, detailed, realistic plan. I would encourage all of your your listeners to to go and check it out. It's one hundred eighty pages, and it, it, it it's undoubtedly something that will make the lives of the Palestinian people better, and will change the course of of the region, and so. When that was put out, a lot of people sort of saw the fact that the Palestinians refused the plan prior to it even being published, meaning they, they wouldn't even read it before rejecting it. And, and honestly, that's just unacceptable, right? I mean, we can disagree about, about the details. We can sit around the table and negotiate them. 
But if you're unwilling to actually even review the plan and, and think it through and, and explain why you think that it's, it's not acceptable, then we're not really talking. We're sort of, we're sort of talking past each other. And, and I think a lot of people in the region saw that and said, you know, we're no longer going to be, you know, allow this to, to, to be a veto over our national interest. And, and that's why I sort of would encourage Palestinian people to really read the plan and, and encourage the leadership. And I know it's a difficult, it's a difficult thing, but to really encourage their leadership to come to the table, because if we're not talking, then we're not making progress. I know we're looking at the leadership of the Palestinians rejecting the uh, peace uh, normalization, um, but there's a larger group of Palestinians. Have you looked toward reaching out to them, and what would you say to them? You know, I'm a very optimistic person, mostly because I work for a very optimistic person, which is Jared Kushner. Uh, the president is the ultimate deal maker. I don't know. I just when you sort of when you sort of just sit down in a chair and you think, you know, it doesn't have to be this way. Right? We don't have to be fighting with one another. And 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 you know, obviously these things are easier said, and and, and feelings are entrenched over decades of of you know issues on both sides, but. I don't know. I just when I when I travel in the region and I talk to the younger generation, I don't feel any animosity towards the process. I don't feel people still, you know, have what is a seventy-year-old grudge. You know, I, I don't know. I just I and, and and a lot of the leadership in the region is younger as well. And I'm I'm referring even outside of the Israeli-Palestinian. There's there's young people that they're not they're not really held back by this in the way that 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 you know, older generations were. And, and I do feel like perhaps, you know, the fact that I'm, I'm a relatively young person, you know, in my early 30s, I think it's given me a perspective on this that perhaps some of the older people who work on this file are not, you know, don't have, which is, you know, where do we go from here, right? You know, I, I see the future as something that excites me. I'm not like clairvoyant, but I see it as something that, really is exciting that there's opportunity and I want to be a part of that opportunity. I know that other people want those opportunities. And so when I, when I sit down across the table from anybody, you know, that's sort of the lens with which I see this conflict and the things that have happened in the past are not to be forgotten, but they're also, we can't let them, we can't let them dictate where we go from here. And so, you know, perhaps this is, this is sort of uh, aspirational, but I don't know, maybe you need to have a little bit of an aspirational philosophy when staring down difficult problems because it's very easy to understand why these things won't come to fruition, but I don't see anything that says that they shouldn't. And, and so I'm hopeful and, and I intend to give it my all as long as I'm a special representative for this negotiation to just really get the parties to the table to talk amongst themselves because, you know, us talking about it is great, but only the parties themselves sitting across the table from each other can really can really get this deal done. There are issues with the Palestinians uh, in terms of how they're treated by the Israelis. I mean, they do live in an occupation. I know that's a disputed term, but um, how do you reach out to them uh, when they have limitations that uh, they have to deal with to sell a plan like this? Well, look, I think, I think we have a little bit of a disagreement about how we see that. But one thing I think we can agree on is that ultimately it's the people that are suffering. And, and how we get to the people in a meaningful way is something that we think about all the time, for sure. And the, the problem becomes in that 
when you have a society that, you know, the leadership does not allow for voting or, you know, or they say that they're going to have voting and then for whatever reason there's some excuse that always comes up, you know, you sort of find yourself in a position of, of where do we go from here that can actually make a substantive substantive change because if you chase after the leadership and you say to them leadership you know until you do x y and z we're not going to give you you know the money and we've stopped paying paying them the money you know they've they've sort of gotten very used to the way things have always been and and it's hard to it's hard to really change that uh overnight and so Time has definitely, has definitely, I think, helped them see that we are not going to continue doing things in the way we've done things. But it also has not brought them to the table, which is sort of a hard reality that we have to acknowledge. And so, you know, how we actually get them to the table, you know, we think it's a function of time. We, we believe that we put out a realistic plan that can actually bring peace. Of course, it's the people themselves that continue to suffer as a result, especially during this period of Corona. But we're also not going to make bad decisions because we're in this situation, and we're not going to chase after a leadership that has shown an unwillingness to constructively engage. And so feeling for the people and understanding their plight and thinking of ways to help them is something that we do all of the time, and thinking of ways to invest in the West Bank that sort of perhaps goes around the leadership is something that we think of as well. But ultimately, our leadership is going to need to step up and come to the table for there to be serious material progress for the Palestinian people. And, you know, if you look at, at Gaza, you can really see the, the, the treachery of bad leadership, right? The trajectory of, of where it takes you. And, and those people are just in, in the, one of the worst situations uh, that, that we really could imagine. And so these, these are serious, serious, massive problems without easy resolutions. Um, but you know, the way I sort of frame it is on September 15th, when we were at the White House doing the signing with Israel and the UAE and Israel and Bahrain, the only reason we were talking about the Palestinians was because Hamas was sending rockets into southern Israel. And, you know, if that's the reason that you're in people's minds, you know, that's, that's a really bad thing. It's, it's a big mess up. And, and I think, I think the Palestinians, you know, they, they, it, some of them are, are, are not to blame for that. A large portion of them are not to blame for that. But ultimately, that is what the leadership in Gaza is doing. And so, you know, this issue is, is a, a, a massive stature, but ultimately, what we found progress in is in the normalization front, as we've seen with the UAE and Israel, with Bahrain, and we're in conversation as the president relayed with numerous other countries, and we intend to follow that because we see significant opportunity in the weeks and months ahead. Are you engaging uh, with other Palestinians, speaking to them, uh, talking to them, uh, and presenting this plan to possibly win public support? Yeah. Yes, I speak to numerous Palestinians. I speak to Palestinian business leaders. Uh, some of them come to my office, and we sit and we talk, and we think of constructive ways to to move this ball forward. I mean, the, the frustration that you hear in my voice pales in comparison to the frustration that you would hear in their voices with the leadership, and they understand that the current trajectory is a bad one, and they constantly bring me potential ideas and, you know, I remember just a few days ago when we put out, when, you know, a few weeks ago when we put out, when we had the signing ceremony and I spoke to one of them over the phone 
And I said, you know, have you had any, any luck with, you know, talking to anybody in the government there? And he said to me, the words he said was, you know, I'm just, I'm fed up with them. I, I've given up on them. And, and, you know, while I understand where he's coming from, you know, we can't, we can't think like that, right? Just because they're not willing to engage, it doesn't mean we should, we should give up on, 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 on working a way around that. And so we think about it all the time, but we're also not going to allow that to be a veto over the progress that we hope to make in the region going forward. How many Arab countries have reached out to uh, uh, President Trump and to you or to Jared Kushner uh, regarding uh, exploring the possibility of doing the same with Israel? Yeah, I, I can give you a, a high-level sense. Numerous countries reached out to us after the UAE deal, and, and the country that's most relevant is Bahrain, saying we would like to be next. And other countries said that they would like to have com- those conversations with us, but Bahrain was sort of the most forceful that they would like to be next, and next they were, right? And so what's, what, was, what was nice about that is within a month of that conversation, which was on August 13th when the UAE deal was announced, we had already come to an agreement with Bahrain, and they were at the signing ceremony uh, a month and two days later on the 15th. And so we're having numerous conversations with other Arab countries and Muslim-majority countries in the region and in Africa. And, you know, what we're finding is that the momentum of those two deals has really pushed other countries to say, you know, what is in our national interest ultimately? You know, should we as Arab League members, as, you know, countries in the region, should we allow a seven-year-old problem to hold back our country, our potential relationship? And, you know, the, the, the most important point I think here is you can disagree with somebody while still recognizing that they are, you know, that they exist. And, and, and I think that that's, you know, what really the UAE breakthrough was, is that, look, perhaps the way we've done things has not proven successful, and perhaps we need to, you know, a paradigm shift. And maybe, and I think what the UAE has proved, is that having a seat at the table and giving a former, you know, adversary or former, you know, country that you were not on good terms with, a seat at the table is in fact the best and most likely way to resolve a conflict. And I think what you're going to start seeing as other countries join the Abraham Accords, is this sort of change in thinking in that Israel is a reality, we have disagreements with it, but let's at least be at the table, have substantive, serious conversations, and, 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 and be a voice for change as opposed to a voice of just rejection. And the UAE led the way, they deserve a tremendous amount of credit for that. Bahrain has solidified it, and therefore they deserve a tremendous amount of credit. And every country that comes next needs to be celebrated as well, because what they are doing is that they are further proving that old paradigms have been unsuccessful, and that the only real way forward is through engagement and through discussion. And and, and I, you know, I'm, I wish sometimes people could hear my conversations that I have with people throughout the region, and they're not ready yet to be made public. But when you hear the way people are talking, you really can tell that things have changed, that we're no longer in a situation where, you know, Israel, we have to think of ways to, you know, avoid it. Like, people want to engage with Israel. They want to have those conversations. And we think that's a very positive step forward, and and hopefully there will be more things to announce in the coming weeks and months. 
How many of the Arab countries have uh, come forward to uh, speak with uh, Israel about signing similar Abraham Accords or uh, similar normalization agreements? I mean, the, the president, the president said roughly five to seven. Uh, so I'll, I'll 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 let that be the the bar. But you know, every country is going to take their own their own time. Every country has their own internal considerations, and we respect that, and we want to work with them uh, to get to that. And, and just to understand, this is not something that is being done at the exclusion of understanding the significant issue of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. That is a real issue, and it is one that we intend to give as much attention as the Palestinian leadership is willing to engage with us on. But unfortunately, I was just going to conclude that until they're willing to come to the table, though, we are going to keep moving forward with those conversations. And, and as we've shown, we've had progress, so hopefully we'll have some more to announce. Of course, this is the an election season, for, and we have an uh, election for president coming up. Do you think the American people, the voters, actually see the significance of this, uh, these two signings, the Abraham Accords? Yeah, I, I do. I do. I think the American public, A, is extremely smart. Uh, B, you know, they, they've been told for a while that, you know, if President Trump was elected, he would lead us into endless wars, and the opposite has proven to be true. He's taken, he's brought troops home and made peace deals in the Middle East. And, and I think, you know, making peace in the Middle East is sort of like almost a joke. It's like an idiom of something that is impossible to do. And so for the American public to see that the president has now been able to do two peace deals in a 29-day period, something that had not been done in over 26 years, I think I think the the, the public understands that the Nobel Prize uh, nominations that he's received afterwards have also helped bring home just how big of a deal this is. And I think, as an American, I hope that I hope that you know my fellow Americans feel a real sense of pride uh, that their president is out there on the world stage. Pushing American diplomacy, right? American diplomacy is a force for good in the world. It's something that no other country, in my opinion, could have led because we have the trust of Israel as well as the trust of the Arab world, thanks to the president's leadership in the region and Jared Kushner's role as well. And so I hope that every American feels a real sense of pride that their, that their president has brought these deals home and, and hopefully we'll continue to share in that celebration as more countries come on board. Avi Berkowitz is an attorney and special advisor to President Trump on the Middle East. He was directly involved with Jared Kushner and the president in putting together the Abraham Accords, which were signed between Israel, the United Arab Emirates, and Bahrain. Avi Berkowitz, thank you so much for joining us this morning on the Arab Street Radio here in Detroit, brought to you by the Arab News newspaper. Thanks, Avi. Thank you. Great to speak to you. Kashat's Mediterranean Market and Shish Kebab offers a great array of your favorite Mediterranean meals. Meals range from lamb specialties, shawarma sandwiches, seafood dinners, and they offer special big trays of your favorite food, plus much more. Kashat's Mediterranean Market and Shish Kebab address is 32839 Northwestern Highway in Farmington Hills. Their phone number is 248-538-9552. That number again is 248-538-9552. And the supermarket is open from 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. Kashat's Mediterranean Market and Shish Kebab will definitely leave you satisfied. Life is a nonprofit charity that's provided humanitarian aid and development to people and communities for over 25 years, regardless of race, color, religion, or cultural background. When disaster occurs here or around the world, Life for Relief and Development rushes in to provide food, medical aid, and shelter to those in need. 
Please help improve these efforts. Make your tax-deductible donation to LIFE now at lifeusa.org or call 248-424-7493. Get ready for an amazing experience at Ishtar Restaurant on 15 Mile Road in Sterling Heights. Enjoy excellent hospitality from owners Ali al-Baghdadi and Fatty Bonham serving the best in Mediterranean food. Try Chef Ali al-Baghdadi's famous shawarma, the best Iraqi grills and food, and the best Arabic and international dishes. Dine in our authentic atmosphere or take out. Call 586-698-2585 or check us out on Facebook. Ishtar Restaurant practices all CDC guidelines and is open every day, 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. Have an amazing experience today at Ishtar Restaurant, 3625 15 Mile Road, Sterling Heights. And welcome back to the Arab Street Radio. I'm Ray Hanania. You know, I'm thinking maybe, uh, I love that Arabic music. Maybe we'll just do a Debka sometime. You know, I used to do radio on WLS in Chicago, and we'd get the whole studio up and dancing over there. But, of course, you know, I'm getting a little older, and I'm going to have to start looking like a sheik, right? Ephraim, how are you? Yes, good, Ray. There are many versions of the Debke. I think there is one yes. for other people. Maybe we should start learning it a bit more. <laughs> the old one is with the cane, right? Where we have a sword in one hand and a cane in the other hand, and we just kind of drag ourselves across the wedding floor. Yeah. Bumping into that. everybody. Bumping into... Anyway, this is a special edition of the uh, Arab Street uh, Radio, uh, brought to you by the Arab News newspaper. There are co-sponsoring the special election edition. Uh, we just got through listening to an interview that I pre-recorded with Avi Berkowitz. Um, I think he was in Egypt uh, when he did the uh, interview. That's where the call came up from. Um, and for those people I know, may, you know, we don't have to agree with the guy. I, I There was very little that I agreed with, but uh, we have to talk. We have to understand. And we're in America, and our goal is we need to talk to Americans we need to present their side. We need to discuss their side. We need to engage them walking away from the peace agreement, for example, uh, as bad as the deal of the century was, as Netanyahu called it, um, I think was a bad move on the part of the Palestinians. They should force themselves every opportunity in front of the camera, in front of the spotlight. And whenever the Israelis are there, they should be there. Um, and uh, it would be like uh, having a presidential debate and not showing up, you know, running for president. And that's always been the problem of the Palestinians. So um, it is uh, our number is two four eight five five seven thirty three hundred. But let me introduce uh, uh, my colleague from the Arab News, Ifram Kosafi. Ifram, how are you? And thank you for joining. We are broadcasting on Facebook. It was a big hassle. I hate technology. I like the old days when we sat around a, a taboon out in the desert and we sent pigeons to each other to say hello, right? Yeah. I'm a Luddite too, you know. I hardly can turn my Zoom on and just check my internet every morning and read the newspaper. That's all I can do. <laughs> and Ifram, you're, from, you're in New York now and uh, you cover the United Nations. I covered them last year. Thank God you're covering it because that is a big hassle. Yeah, <laughs> Did they tell you after, right? After they hired you. It's very strange this year. You know, the United Nations is supposed to be celebrating its 75th anniversary today. We know that it was created in 1945 from the ruins of the Second World War. And there was a whole talk about how this pandemic is actually plunging the world in a sort of like a third world war. And the need for the United Nations to stress again 
um, the tenets and the ideals upon which it was uh, created um, 75 years ago, which is multilateralism. There was a lot of talk in every pre-recorded speech by every world leader about the importance of coming together, multilateralism. Uh, the Secretary General, who uh, unusually this week was giving a lot of press uh, talks, you know, insisted many times and warned against the nationalistic approach and the turning inward of some countries in their dealing with the pandemic. And so you had these messages throughout the past six days of the general debate. But then last night you had, you know, the lower diplomats' uh, right of reply. And so everyone rushed to reply to the speech of the other country's leader. And so you saw all these attacks and it ended on a very divisive note uh, last night, you know, you had uh, uh, Armenia and Azerbaijan now attacking uh, each other and accusing each other of starting the tensions in the Karabakh. Uh, you had Iran going after Israel and replying to Netanyahu's claim that Iran in um, is a few steps away from having two nuclear bombs. Uh, you had, uh, um, uh, you know, Iran attacking UAE and Yemen responding to Iran. How can you attack UAE when you are responsible for the war in our country? And so we saw uh, last night while the debate, I mean, a little bit before the debate, the presidential debate was going on, how also the Security Council and the General Assembly were a site uh, representing the divisions of the world today. Also at the Security Council, there was an in-person meeting and there was sparring between the Chinese and the American ambassadors to the UN over the handling of the pandemic. We see how Trump and Trump repeated it, President Trump in the debate also uh, calling it the Chinese plague. So they sparred with each other, they attacked each other, uh, and then Russia sided with China on it. The classical usual divisions we've been seeing, we saw, uh, you know, a summary of them last night at the United Nations. When uh, when Putin gets up there, does he kind of give like a secret wink to Trump, like from the microphone and go, and I'd like to talk to my enemy, Donald Trump? <laughs> you know, I, there's some kind of a body language interpretation than I am. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, last year I covered the UN and I got Legionnaire's disease. And fortunately, it was it didn't become a story because I was the only one that got it. Everybody else who got it went back to their home countries, you know, outside of the U.S. So they said, the CDC said, eh, one American gets Legionnaire disease. We're not going to publicize it. I said, what? Am I going to be okay? And then, of course, we get coronavirus. All right. We, uh, Ephraim Kosvi, hang on because we got to take one more break. Uh, let's do that, Mike and uh, our producer. And uh, when we come back, if... If people want to call, you can call at 248-557-3300. Remember, we're only an hour show, and we're down now to a half hour after we did the Avi Berkowitz interview. Um, but uh, So keep your questions if you want to call in 248-557-3300. Keep your questions short, please, um, so we can get as many people in as possible. I'm Ray Hanania here at the Arab Street Radio, brought to you by the Arab News newspaper at Arab News. Dot com. We're going to be right back right after these messages.
At Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic in Dearborn, we provide effective physical therapy sessions in order to limit pain and discomfort. Top Rehab provides physical therapy care for any diagnosis prescribed by a physician, and we regularly see and treat conditions such as stroke, TMJ, fibromyalgia, sciatica, joint pain, and more. We use a variety of pain management methods, including modalities, soft tissue mobilization, and therapeutic exercise. If you're in need of physical rehabilitation or physical therapy, get the highest quality health care at Top Rehab. Most insurance is accepted and we're open Monday, Wednesday, and Friday 8 to 6, Tuesday and Thursday 8 to 5, and Saturday 10 till 2. Call for an appointment today at 313-846-0555. That's 313-846-0555. Choose Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic on Michigan Avenue in Dearborn. Life's too short to be in pain. اللي شام بستناك مشان نروح نتغدى بالشام شام؟ ايه بالشام ومو بالشام شلون صارت هي؟ بدل ما نروح نتغدى بالشام ايه جابوا لنا الاكلات الشاميه الطيبه لعنا لهم وشلون بقى؟ هذا مطعم دماس عم يعمل كل الاكلات الشاميه الطيبه هو وطيبه؟ طيبه كثير شرفوا نتغدى سوا بمطعم دماس الأكل الشامي الأصيل فقط بدمسكوزين زروهم على 28841 أرشد لك بفارمينغتون هيلز ولطلباتكم اتصلوا على 248-987-4609 That's 248-987-4609 دمسكوزين and catering جبنا لكم الشام لعندكم when you're looking for the best in optical care, Dr. Iman Nakash is your doctor to see. With years of experience and thousands of successful procedures performed, you can trust your eyes to Dr. Iman Nakash. See Dr. Iman Nakash and his professional staff for your eye care needs. There's two locations to serve you. In Hazel Park, call 248-336-3937. 248-336-3937. In Rochester Hills, call 248-299-3937. That's 248 248- Two nine nine three nine three seven, and welcome back to the Arab Street Radio. I'm Ray Hanania. It's Wednesday, September thirtieth, uh, and I am the U.S. Special Correspondent for the Arab News Newspaper. Uh, we're brought to you by uh, today's show by the Arab News Newspaper at arabnews.com, where you can read some great writing and a great story about the debate from my guest and colleague Ifram Kosafi who is a New York-based U.S. correspondent for the Arab News newspaper. Um, great story yesterday. Uh, we talked uh, during our after-debate show, um, and, of course, I'm just waiting to see it. They, I sent them all the, the video and everything, and, uh, uh, you know, it was crazy because my computer was dying toward the end there, and I'm going, oh, no. It said one, one it had the number one next to the battery, and I'm going, any moment, my computer is going to crash and our interview is going to collapse. Um, but I wasn't able to use our computers. I'm surprised they're still functioning in the first place. Oh, my gosh. I got to go get a new one this week. It's driving me nuts. But anyway, um, what did you think of the debate? I mean, uh, the high points. Uh, what did you tell us about the story you wrote at the Arab News? If people want to go there to ArabNews.com, they can read it. Well, the good thing about the debate, if you read the American newspapers this morning, um, um 
is that uh, finally, after three and a half years, everyone agrees on something, that it was the most disastrous debate in the history of American presidential debate. Yes. It, was it wasn't that great. We hit new lows yesterday. There, there were things that... Um, I mean, I've covered the elections since 2004. You have since 1976. So you probably know more than me that in recent memory, we have never seen this amount of personal insults traded on stage, on national television between two candidates, uh, an event that was supposed to give viewers a chance to compare the two men side by side on the important issues and God, we have so many issues in this country we needed to focus on. Um, but, you know, um, one thing is Biden, uh, it seems like they raised more than uh, $4 million during the debate. So, you know, Democrats thought maybe Biden was winning. He won them over. This is a record uh, in one hour, like of how much Biden uh, has raised. And of course, um, uh, the pro-Trump media like Breitbart are singing the praises of the president as the winner. Uh, of the debate, continuing, you know, the same rhetoric that was prevalent before the debate as well. Um, I think what stood out for me the most, I don't know for you, Ray, I'm going to ask you too uh, in a little bit, but uh, the fact that the president did not um, um, uh, specifically denounce uh, white supremacy at a time when the country, yeah. Yeah. when civil unrest continues to rage on in so many <laughs> cities in the countries. And, he seemed uh, to waffle on that, didn't he? He seemed yeah. to waffle. He yeah. could have yeah. said, "I." He said, "Yeah, I do," but he. Ne- they said, "Well, then say it." Yeah, Why, it's interesting that he just wouldn't say it. And then he said, um, "What do you want me to say? Who do you want me to call?" Like, right. Okay, and, and they told I him, "Says proud boys." And then he says, "Proud boys, stand back, stand by." And all of a sudden, you have this proud boys group. They just printed a new logo with "Stand back, stand by." They celebrated oh, all yeah. the president mentioned them. And this is a hate group. I mean, yes. all made- I, I think he should. I think he should be more forceful. And he's not. I, I don't think honestly, I don't believe he supports these white supremacist groups. But I think that uh, he feels because Trump is like a little kid. If he's pushed into a corner, you could say, eat your food or do this. And he'll refuse to do it just because you're telling him to do it. But I, I think it's in his uh, worst interest not to have responded to that. Uh, the other thing I was going to say was I, I don't think anybody really won or lost the debate other than maybe Chris Wallace lost the debate because he lost control of the whole thing. But I thought that Biden did kind of edge himself up because he never fit this stereotype that people were projecting that he was old, that he couldn't keep his mind together, that he'd be forgetful. Um, you know, that senility and, uh, you know, memory memory loss was going to, I you know, the way they described them, they, it was almost like I was waiting for him to say, where am I? Who, who am I? But he didn't do that. He was right on from start to finish. Perfect form. Didn't say a lot, I didn't think, but he was there and that makes him the winner, I think. Yeah, he couldn't say a lot, I think. Almost at every opportunity, the president was interrupting him. Right. To throw him off, huh? Huh? Yeah, to throw him off, you think? He was trying to shake him up, but uh, Biden didn't bite, did he? He was laughing, and although he did call him every name in the book, he could possibly call somebody during a presidential debate. Loser, racist, clown. 
What were yeah. some of the other ones? There are all kinds of stuff there. The worst president America has ever had. That yes, oh yeah, Biden. he did not hold back. Yeah, two four eight two four eight five five seven thirty three hundred is our phone number. If you want to call in and tell us what you thought of the debate, what was the most important, what was uh, you know what left an impression with you, we'll take your phone calls. Our producer Mike is. Uh, uh, waiting there. If you want to call in, I know it's kind of intimidating. We are broadcasting on Facebook. Um, we are uh, recording and podcasting. Um, and you know the FBI is following this show. So if you do call in, you know that you're going to be on their radar screen. Okay. And uh, this, uh, we have two more debates, don't we, uh, Ifram, coming up? Yeah. So, and maybe foreign policy and uh, anything There's else. We don't. Yeah. One on foreign policy, immigration trade then uh, the subject i think will uh, be more specific as we uh, you know get closer to october 15th and we also have on the 7th next week the first vice presidential debate between um uh, mike pence and uh, kamala harris uh, on october 7th just one week. oh right that's right mm-hmm. that one will probably be boring but much more cohesive yeah. Uh, Pence is not a fighter. He's proud. He's very respectful. You know, he's from Indiana. What can you expect from a guy? He's not going to be very aggressive, you know. And uh, Kamala, I think uh, this is her chance to kind of assert herself, right? Her big yeah. spotlight. Yeah, and she was all over. He might be. And she was talking until the early hours of the morning uh, last night. You know, she was on really? TV channels, you know. Um, uh, talking about the debates, the point that she hammered home a lot was the embarrassment she felt uh, the world um, while the world was watching the debate. She felt that America has been more debased than ever before in the eyes of the world. And uh, that's the point that she kept repeating. And of course, she said that Biden is the one who won uh, the debate and uh, and that the, the, um, uh, the debate was a clear image of what America is presented with today, uh, Donald Trump versus Joe Biden, whom she called acts presidential, is very graceful and decent man. And um, uh, yeah. Yeah. And I think besides us, we're the only objective media, you and me in the Arab News newspaper. The rest of them are off the deep end. I mean, I read the New York Times this morning. Uh, it just was so biased. I read, I watched Fox News it, there's no middle ground, it seems. So it's very hard to get an objective. You know, both sides are going to cast the other side like you're the end of the world. Let's take a phone call from uh, one of our listeners, Jerry Haba. Jerry, thank you for uh, listening. Uh, I don't know if you're watching us on Facebook, uh, but the technology is growing. Pretty soon we're going to be on that big uh, TV screen on Times Square. Right, Ephraim? Well, because uh, you're in New York, you get us up there. Jerry, yeah, welcome set. to the show. Yeah, we're Thank all set. Thank you, Mr. Just Rehman. Good morning to you, and how are you today? Hey, right? Jerry. Good. good. And, uh, Our good guest, uh, Ephraim, is on. Good morning to your distinguished guest, uh, and thank you for uh, being here with you in the studio. Uh, Mr. Rehman, I do believe uh, the big punch that... Uh, uh, President Donald Trump threw it at the Vice President Joe Biden when he told him, uh, in 47 months, I did more than you did in 47 years, Joe. Yeah, uh, that was memorable. And that was, yeah, that was a big, uh, uh, he threw it like a two-boxer, and I believe that 
kind of confused uh, uh, Vice President Joe Biden when he told him that. And the second thing, uh, uh, Vice President, he blew it when he said about himself, I'm the Democratic Party. So that was kind of too much uh, to say, I, I am the Democratic Party, you know. I don't think any person represents the whole party. So that was a, a, a big mistake on behalf of Vice President Joe Biden. And the but third Jerry, you got to admit, uh, you got to admit, Jerry. Hey, Jerry, you got to admit though that Biden handled himself pretty well, didn't he? He he wasn't as bad yes, as everybody yes. said he was going to be. Yes. Uh, the other things, uh, President Trump, when he mentioned about his son Hunter, uh, that was a big hit. Uh, confused the vice president. He got lost. He didn't know what to say. And I believe those are three points. Uh, I, I claim President Donald Trump, he was the winner on that debate. Okay. Thank you very All much, right. gentlemen. Thank you. Have a Jerry, nice thank day. you. Thank you, buddy. We appreciate you listening to the show. And everybody out there at Facebook, our, our friend Samir Khalil with the Arab Democratic Club in Chicago is watching. we got uh, uh, Linda. We have... Uh, um, a lot of people that are online here, and uh, it took us a while to get the uh, Facebook because of the technology and stuff like that. We have one more break, Ifram, and we're gonna, we have to take that break. When we come back, let's talk a little bit more about the uh, debate, uh, politics, and anything else, any other stories that you've been working on, we can share it with our listeners here at uh, the Arab Street Radio, WNZK AM 690 Radio Broadcasting out of Detroit, our guest Ifram is in New York. I'm Ray Hanania, based in Chicago. The special election edition radio show every Wednesday through uh, one or two weeks after the November 3rd uh, presidential general election. Uh, we'll be broadcasting here every Wednesday morning on WNZK AM 690 Radio. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we can take more calls at 248 557 3300. I'm Ray Hanania. We'll be right back right after these messages. Ziad Brand. Quality products from our family to yours. Ziad Brothers Importing offers the finest quality products, including brands like Sultan, Kraft, Nestle, Hook, Rico Picon, Donna, and many more. Ask your retailer to carry these fine products because you deserve the very best. For more information, visit our website at www.ziad.com. That's www.ziad.com. Ziad, quality products from our family to yours. Are you going to start a restaurant or a grocery store soon? Do you need floor plans and designs? Call Naji Aboud at 734-744-9796. Do you want to buy kitchen and restaurant equipment at discount prices? Call Naji Aboud now, 734-744-9796. New concept products and design, the trademark of kitchen equipment. 5% discount on all purchases of $75,000 or more. New concept products and design, new location, 31185 Schoolcraft in Livonia. Learn more at www.newconceptproducts.com. Call Najee Aboud, 734-744-9796. 
When it comes to reproductive medicine, IVF Michigan Fertility Centers are the recognized leaders. With locations in Bloomfield Hills and five other cities in Michigan and Ohio, IVF has experts in all aspects of the field. As a founding member of IVF Michigan Fertility Centers, Dr. Nicholas Shama is one of the leading reproductive endocrinologists in Michigan and Ohio. Dr. Shama has performed over 10,000 IVF cases and has helped thousands of couples fulfill their dreams of parenthood. American board certified in both obstetrics and gynecology and reproductive endocrinology and infertility, Dr. Nicholas Shama is a very caring, compassionate, expert physician that understands not only the medical but also the emotional toil of infertility on his patients. When it's time, get personalized care from Dr. Nicholas Shama at IVF Michigan Fertility Centers in Michigan and Ohio. Call toll-free 855-952-9600, 855-952-9600. And welcome back to the Arab Street Radio. I'm Ray Hanania with my guests, Ephraim Kosafi. We're both uh, writers at the Arab News newspaper, which is sponsoring uh, today's show. We're on every Wednesday um, our next show will be Wednesday, October 7th. And then I do my Friday regular shows, uh, Friday, October 9th. Uh, I think I have a show Friday, October 16th. Um, but just listen in uh, every Wednesday through the election, and you get some Arab-American uh, insight uh, from uh, two journalists. Ifram, you've done a lot in journalism. Give us a little bio, because this is the first time you're on the radio show here. Uh, in Detroit for the listeners and those people listening online and watching on Facebook. Tell us just a quick little bio about yourself, what you've done in journalism. Yes, I've been covering the U.S. election and U.S. politics race since 2004, yeah. since I first got here. Um, and I also, from the very beginning, I have had this big curiosity, uh, you know, and, and desire to understand the complexity of this society. Because as you know, we come from overseas from the Middle East, there's a very simplistic image that the world has of America. It's basically concentrated in the image of New York and DC and politics and the big metropolis around the US. But in fact, I wanted to know about the other 80% of Americans, those that no one mentions that live in isolated areas. They go about their business as usual, very simple life. But those are the most powerful voters in the system. And so that fascinated me. And so I did a lot of documentaries trying to understand different factions in the American society and different wow. social strata. And I also had a, a show called America Votes, which is about the election. And I rove with it all around the states. I think we did over 35 states uh, reporting on the elections um, in the past. Nice. nice. And uh, you said you've been, uh, uh, you interviewed, I think, uh, Bill Clinton and... Uh, George H.W. Bush, uh, George Sr., right? Bush yeah, Sr. Yeah, that's true. I met Clinton in the Arkansas Library. Um, I think it was there was a tsunami back then. We talked about that and the American efforts, you know, around the world. And, um, yeah. Was he surrounded by a lot of good-looking women? Because that's all I heard about the guy. Well, I actually met him. I was thinking in... about it's so funny when I saw him. It's so funny how you can never shake that off. But you yeah, can't uh, these guys when you meet them in person, you would not imagine that these are the same people who started wars and deal yeah with he's a he's a big guy, very tall too i I was at the peace accords in nineteen ninety three and he invited me into a meeting with uh, Yitzhak Rabin and uh, uh Yasser Arafat and of course Arafat gave me one of these little buttons and I have his autograph on a uh 
painting that uh, I brought with me there that he autographed for me. Um, and uh, it was interesting. It was really interesting. So um, this... I wanted uh, to do something because I saw you mention sure. Abraham Accord sure. and with your uh, interview, like you were, you know, talking about how Palestinians are not always ready when they come to the negotiation. And this is something right. we've seen um, in so many other... Uh, you know, summits and attempts to bring the two parties together. Why do you think the Palestinians are never prepared to these meetings? They never come prepared. I don't think they understand the Western process of negotiations or uh, communications. Because I, when I was at the UN last year, it was a great example. Uh, you know, there was a small area in the UN building where the uh, dignitaries would walk past and they'd have the reporters uh, cordoned off with uh, standards and ropes. And uh, every time someone would come by, they'd come by and say hi to us. Whether they made news or whatever, they talked to us. They weren't afraid of us. But when the Palestinians came by, I know Saab Arakat. I've met him. I've, he knows me. I met uh, Mahmoud Abbas. They were all walking by like they were afraid of, you know, chickens walking past you know, foxes that were waiting to pounce on them. And I kept saying, Saab, you know, come over here and say a few words. And it's like they looked at me in, in fear. And I'm going, you can't possibly fear me. I'm Palestinian. You know, come and say something. So they didn't have anything to say. That's the problem with the Palestinians. They're not ready. Hanan Ashrawi, on the other hand, phenomenal. I did an interview with her this week, and they ran the story at the Arab News. Um, and she lamented the fact that they wouldn't put any money into communications. They wouldn't give her any money. She does it as a volunteer. And I'm thinking that's why we've lost as Palestinians and as Arabs. Um, because the Israelis, to them, communications is priority number one. PR, spin, perception. Not to us. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's a big, it's, uh, it's uh, sad um, and I think if they change that, that's why I'm so proud of the Arab News newspaper publishing in English, um, spreading out to all these different cities, you know, bringing our voice to Americans to get them to understand. Um, that's the big hurdle we face. And, you know, we think, hey, they're educated, right? Americans, smart people. But when it comes down to it, all they know is the book Exodus by Leon Uris, and they think that's the uh, blueprint of what happened to us. That's it. And we, we need, Ephraim, if you're a writer, you need to write a book, The Palestinian Exodus. You know, uh, our version. We haven't done it. We should totally do. That's redundant, Palestinian Exodus. Ray, I wanted to ask you, speaking of Arab Americans as well, do you feel that Arab Americans this year are, are more cognizant of the way the system works, are more engaged politically in this election. How would you compare their presence with, say, four years ago? Because I was Well, I think that's a great question, and I'll answer it real quickly. But I think the big issue for us is the Arab community isn't getting engaged. The Muslim community is. In the United States, it's mostly Muslims uh, that have created these very influential organizations like MPAC and MGAGE, um, the American Muslims for Palestine, their voices are being heard. But as you know, in the U.S., the American Muslims are 74% non-Arab, mostly African-American, um, and the Arab Muslims are only about 22%. 
So our voice as Arabs really still is being suppressed because as Arabs, we're still discriminated against. Politicians love to talk with Muslims because they know the majority are not Arab and they won't run into a Palestinian at one of those meetings, which to me is the problem. But, you know, I, I've been arguing that for years. Nobody listens. Yeah. I should have been a doctor. It'd be a lot easier. I'd be one of the commercials on this radio show making a lot of money right now. If we only got a couple minutes left, I'm telling you, these the, the radio show flies by. Anything you want to point out that you're working on, any ideas from the debate uh, that you want to share uh, that stood out? I loved your headline uh, from the story in the Arab News. Let me see, read it. It was, uh, just shut up, man. Biden and Trump trade personal insults in first presidential debate. That was a memorable moment, unfortunately, yeah. right? And you know what, Ray? Immediately after the debate, T-shirts from the Biden uh, campaign with the sentence, yes. Um, yes. Uh, shut up, man, went on sale immediately. Yeah, right and, that's, and that's PR spin that they think about, right? And I bet Trump has one that says uh, 47 months in office compared to 47 years of doing nothing. You know, so uh, we should be like that. We should jump on these little perceptions. Yeah. So... But, but it's again, you wake up the next day, Ray, and you look at the newspaper. And today we're reading yeah. about the pandemic and how it's flaring yes. in so many areas yes. in the U.S. And you hear some governments really going back to the same panic that we experienced back in March. Uh, after we thought this is the new beginning now, we have dealt with it and it's behind us, it's back. So it's hard to dwell on those beautiful, flashy points from the debate when you are immersed again the next day with the harsh reality of what's happening on the ground. Let's go to the phone lines again. Uh, Sammy is on the line. Let's see if we can get Sammy to make a quick observation. Sammy, uh, you on the line still? Thank you for hanging on. Yes, good morning, Gray. Good morning to your guest and definitely to the listener. I just want to be You only have a minute, about... unfortunately, but go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. That's okay. Uh, so uh, for yesterday's debate, I see the winner is not Biden and it's not uh, Biden is maybe more have a good luck about better than Trump. But what's happened yesterday is that Trump uh, was very ignorant, took the uh, the conversation to a personal level. He was debating more with the moderator, with Chris, more than the audiences yeah, or more funny. than anyone else. Yes. Yeah. And he was Chris was very elegant and smart about his questions, and he did his job great. On the other hand, Biden was able to talk to the American people into the eye. He was looking to the camera most of the time. Yes, he did. Versus Trump, he versus Trump was talking to the to Chris and to himself more than anyone else. He utilized a language that never been used before in any presidential debates in the sixties. He was took it, he took it very very personally, and he was angry and aggressive against Biden. On the other hand, Biden was calm, was quiet, smiling most of the time. He lost some momentums, and he Sammy, wasn't I able to, to take advantage. Sammy, I got to stop you there because we're at the last sixty seconds That's of the okay. show. I, no problem. I, but thank but... you for calling so much, Ephraim Kosafi. Thank you for joining us this morning. It was a lot of fun. We got to do this again on one of the upcoming shows. I'm Ray Hanania. Remember, the newspaper, the ArabNews.com, is the place to go. 
Um, and for more information on this podcast, go to thearabstreet.org. Listen, I'll see you next Wednesday at 7 a.m. Chicago time, 8 a.m. in Detroit. Mike, thanks for producing. Everybody have a great week. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye, everybody.